Glad Tiding is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. To Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton FC podcast. Uh, it's me, Greg O'Keefe, and as usual, I'm joined by Paddy Boyland. Hello, Paddy. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm oh, not bad, and you may well wonder why he's asking me how I am. <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally he's handing me a, a delicious cup of hot coffee. Sadly, uh, in, in step with the uh, with the times, as it seems, we're recording this remotely. Hopefully, not for too long, but uh, we are today, and we've got plenty to talk about and some really interesting pieces that've been up on the site. Pat, I, I hope you've got some background music on there. I can't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost feel as though we should have some kind of Fleetwood Mac playlist playing in the in the background over over this particular podcast because it did start to become a little bit of a theme didn't it and just it I'm, always, I'm always missing it because it's it's nice I kind of already want to go back to that that time kind of two or three weeks ago um so, so yeah apologies to any listeners that prefer the sound of um Fleetwood Mac to our own kind of our own voices when it comes to Everton Football Club um hopefully it's just a temporary measure as you say there were simpler times weren't they um <laughs> We uh, it made me laugh earlier when when you did a shout out on Twitter, uh, you know, explaining what we're going to be talking about, and there was some uh, there was some good questions and there was some quite apt ones as well. So a little bit a bit out of left field. We will come to that in a minute. Um, I guess let's kind of move through things in some semblance of order, uh, as much as we can muster at the moment. News today, obviously, we're recording this on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, and news earlier about the Premier League isn't going to resume at least until now, the 30th of April. So um, the Merseyside derby, uh, the Everton's run into the season with some interesting games still on the horizon. As with everything in the world at the moment, it seems, Pad, is just uh, remaining up in the air, really. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I don't think anybody um, will have been particularly surprised by today's news. It, It kind of seemed inevitable. I think it was only last week that we had Marcel Brands, obviously Everton's director of football, talking about how unlikely it was that games would be played the weekend of, of April the 3rd, April the 4th. Obviously, Everton will, would have played on on the Monday night uh, against Leicester City, uh, as it was. Um, but the, the way things have accelerated and, and what's taken place, the fact that the players themselves are isolating away from their teammates, it just made everything seem particularly unlikely for that um, resumption date in early April. We now know, as you say, that it's moved back till to April the 30th and I have to be honest I'm still not particularly optimistic of us getting back underway then but I think the really important detail here was that the Premier League usually has a defined cut-off point of June the 1st for mm. the completion of any regular season that's now completely been scrapped and 
the deadline has been extended indefinitely, which means in theory, if the season were to resume in early June, they could play games throughout the summer in a bid to get the the season finished. Um, whether or not any of that, of course, will be possible is up for debate. And and we know ourselves, don't we, from from the conversations we've had that even Everton, for example, they'll take a decision. Finch Farm's been closed this week. Um, and they'll take a decision on whether the players even come back on Monday of next week to to Finch Mm. Farm. People that work for the club in other aspects, that the live buildings are at Goodison Park, they've been asked to work from home. Um, So it feels like instead of everything kind of picking back up again for um, the resumption of the Premier League, what's actually happening is things are grinding to a halt. We know this in our own daily lives. We know that with the fact that we're doing this podcast over over the internet and not kind of face-to-face. Um, mm. And obviously the most important thing to stress is that um, the most important thing is the safety of the players, of backroom staff, of supporters, of the general public, just about everybody. So if the government and the Premier League believe that this is the right measure, then that, that, that's fine by me. I think, I think we've got to go with that. And there are other ways to, to stay connected to our clubs. Hopefully in the next few weeks, we're, we're able to do that and, and kind of, roll that out across the site. Yep, spot on. Uh, obviously, a nice way to stay connected with one of the real success stories of our season, I, I would suggest uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is to read your piece on him today. Um, it was good to see the video of him uh, earlier today as well, sort of training hard, and I would expect nothing less uh, in, in his gym at home. We've covered his progress last couple of seasons, but really reading your piece today, you spoke to a lot of people who've known Dom coming up right through the age groups and, and his formative years and uh, coaches and, and family members. And um, it just comes out of this so well. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the piece that's on the site today? The making of Dominic Carvalhoon, it's called, isn't it? The, the, the making of Dominic Carvalhoon, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. It kind of charts his rise from the early days in the, in the Sheffield United Academy to uh, his loan spells in the, in the non-league and in in League Two with with Northampton Town, all the way through to signing for Everton, um, the improvements over the last twelve months, I would say, um, speaking to kind of people close to him, his, his coaches, former coaches, all those all those people that have had a role in in his development. He does come out of it well. You, you're right, and quite a lot of the people that we spoke to kind of thought that this kind of progression was inevitable. So I went back in the piece to a conversation I've had with David Unsworth in, must have been September now. And if anybody's read that piece, anybody who was a subscriber at the time, they'll know that Unsworth tipped Dominic to to play for England this year, Mm. um, this season, I should say. I also wrote in the piece that that prediction from Unsworth probably would have been realised this week. Um, Thursday the 19th, there was meant to be an England squad announcement and we think Dominic Calvert-Lewin would have been in that squad. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a shame for everybody. It's a shame for all concerned that he obviously wasn't there, but he still signed a new um, five-year deal on in, inflated terms, on improved terms. He still scored 15 goals yeah. Um, yeah. at this point in the season. And he's also been, for my money, probably one of Everton's best three players this season overall in terms of consistency and uh, consistency in performance, 
uh, all those kinds of things. So he's still a he's still a really interesting person to discuss. And like you say, there's something nice about kind of telling the story of one of the success stories of Everton's season. Um, yeah. Particularly in the early days, they were kind of few and far between, weren't they? And we we yeah. just kind of taken on this new job, and we were trying to be as positive as possible. So you're kind of <laughs> looking around and trying to scratch the surface for any <laughs> any semblance of positivity. I mean, quite how you do that when you've just lost. 2-0 at home to kind of newly promoted Norwich who are bottom of the table I don't mm. really know um, but we are able to do it now there's more of a feel good factor and while obviously we've got the themes of kind of the people close to Dominic like his, his father Calder um, his former coaches at, at Staley Bridge and at, at Sheffield United David Unsworth himself what we are seeing now is the way the current coaching setup including assistant manager Duncan Ferguson and manager Carlo Ancelotti are able to get the best out of players. So kind of a, I had a little bit of a look at Ferguson's role and I think Ferguson probably has been the key figure over the last year or two in getting the most out of Dominic and in kind of working with him after training as he did under Silva to giving him a big opportunity to lead the line in his first game as interim boss, a game that Ferguson and Everton really needed to win instilling him with that belief and saying, look, Dominic needs a partner up front here. He can't just play on his own, chasing around, um, trying to occupy a whole defence by himself. Let's give him Richarlison to play alongside. And then Carlo Ancelotti kind of comes in and puts the the icing, the, the cherry on top of the cake with um, bits of work, video analysis on his movements. Dominic looks at his, at his clips as well. Um, and just kind of refining those things so that he becomes more of a penalty box poacher. I think all we can say is, I mean, the 15 goals tell their own story, don't they? This is by far his most productive season, and it's a really sharp upward curve. So a a great story to tell. Do do check it out if you haven't been on the site and had a look at it already. It's quite a long read, but we've got that time in our hands on the evenings now, in the evenings now, to to, to look at those things. and we could all do with a bit of positivity from time to time. So I was I was more than happy to tell that particular tale. You say when we've got time on our hands between obsessing over 24-hour rolling news and constantly reading the BBC News site. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. it is quite nice to think about football. And I don't know about you, but I just miss it. I can't wait. Even, even if it comes back in an imperfect and, and very kind of unprecedented form of behind closed doors, two games a week, just rattle through the season uh, in a month. I'd take that all day right now. In fact, I'm excited just at the prospect of that. You know, even though it wouldn't be the same as get going to games and what have you, just being able to watch some competitive sports is going to be such a, such a lift, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and I think we we still have those bonds with the club uh, ourselves as journalists and and supporters. They will still have that bond with Everton Football Club, and that won't go away. And in fact, I actually think. The absence of games, to, to use that kind of well-trotted out cliche, the, the absence of games will make the heart grow fonder in this In this case. We'll all be kind of really excited to go back to Goodison when it eventually reopens for games. We'll all look forward to seeing Dominic, as we mentioned earlier, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison pestering opposition defences, Mason Holgate getting involved in RG-Bargy, um, Luca Dean and Leighton Baines rampaging down the wing, all those kinds of things that we've come to love about um, certain parts of this Everton team and just football in general that feeling will intensify over the, the months to come but what I would say is it, it gives us an opportunity particularly as journalists I think it gives us quite a unique opportunity to kind of look at what's happened so far look at the last few years even at Everton and, and what's taken place 
pick out kind of feel good stories like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but also kind of go way, way back. So I don't know about you, but I absolutely loved Everton's um, social media channels earlier this week, um, broadcasting the full 90 minutes of the Derby win over Liverpool in, in 84 yeah. on, on social media and on YouTube. They did kind of live tweets for mm. it, which were great as well. And it was kind of something for, for all of us to just kind of cling on to, remembering kind of, such a great Everton side so I think there's kind of room for that as well um, we all still have those attachments to our club we all still want to read about what's happened in our club past and present and like you I, I already can't wait it's only been a couple of days it's only been a couple of days mate but I'm already kind of climbing the walls waiting to kind of get yeah. back to all the kind of normal parts of life and that's not just football but it's um, kind of going to the gym and not being worried about um, things in the gym or going and seeing friends, going for a pint in the pub, all those kinds of things. So fingers crossed that we're, we're able to do that in the near future. Fingers crossed everybody's all right. Um, but the show kind of goes on here, doesn't it? We'll, by hook or by crook, over over Skype or over the telephone, we'll be doing pieces, we'll be doing podcasts, and um, we'll be trying to find those kind of, those interesting stories to, to tell. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, here, here. On to that end, we did a mailbag, which I don't know if you haven't seen it. We set up a, an article on the site and we asked for your questions and then we get busy answering them. And there was a couple um, that sort of popped up in this week's one that I thought were interesting. We'll start with a fun one and then we'll get into our transfers. The fun one, you probably tell what's coming now, Pad, is someone asked, <laughs> um, what, who's in your first 11 to win? A Merseyside derby against this current Liverpool side, Goodison. Any for any formation, anyone from the Premier League era, Everton form. So I mean, it, you can't, um, for example, a young Wayne Rooney. That was, that was Michael who asked us that, and I think you had some good fun with that question with your, your tin hat firmly on. <laughs> do, do, you remember, do you remember your team? It was a really good question. Um, well, what I'll do then is I'll, I'll go through my team as best I remember it. And then you can, if you want, you can pick it apart before everybody else picks it apart in either okay. the uh, Twitter comments or on the Athletic app uh, comments. Um, yeah. Really, really good question, as I say. Uh, went for Nigel Martin in goal. For my money, the best Everton goalkeeper that I've seen in the Premier League. Just so consistent, part of that team that finished fourth. Um, really safe pair of hands. And... If we're talking about Merseyside derbies, I remember an absolute blinder he had at Anfield when Steven Gerrard was kind of pinging them from all over and Martin made some unbelievable saves. So mm. he was a shoo-in. There wasn't even a debate over the goalkeeping position for me. I went for Seamus Coleman and Leighton Baines as right and left backs. Um, you'd probably be looking at kind of 13, 14 versions of those two players when they were kind of bombing down the wing for, for Moyes or Martinez. Mm-hmm. Uh in defence, I had a few problems. Jagielka was the, the the certainty. I toyed with Distan to cope with Liverpool's pace and physicality. I toyed with Jolian Lescott, who was very close to getting in. In the end, I went for the leadership of Dave Watson, um, another former Everton captain, obviously, who I think, given that Everton wouldn't be playing particularly expansively in this game, I think would do a good job alongside Phil Jagielka. What a defence. Uh, it's a good defence, it's a good defence, but I mean, I think there is a case for Lescott, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what you think about that. Midfield was Carsley and Idrissa Gay in front of the back four, being a bit cautious there, but lovely Carsley's role in derby games, loved his performances in, in 04-05. Idrissa Gay, I think, it, is another name that absolutely has to be in there. Um, mm. One of Everton's best defensive midfielders in the Premier League era. 
we're seeing how big a loss he has been this season, particularly in the first part of the season. And I still think he'd be really good for Everton now in Ancelotti's 4-4-2. Mikel Arteta, Tim Cahill, Stephen Pienaar, probably not much controversy there, given that I was brought up effectively watching the um, Walter Smith teams into the David Moyes teams. Really difficult up front, though. Uh, in the end, went for Romelu Lukaku, just because I think he, he can do a little bit of everything. And he's also the kind of striker that, as we saw in the, in the games against Man City away at times, in the games uh, against Liverpool, the games against... Um, there was one game against Chelsea in the FA Cup. I think it was the potentially the quarterfinal, but if not the last 16, where he kind of completely bamboozled them. Um, scored a wonderful solo goal and then grabbed another one towards the end. So I went for him. Wayne Rooney was kind of close as a wild card. Uh, mm. Thomas Graveson actually was quite close for a midfield spot. Uh, I toyed with leaving Lee Carsley out. Um, Andre Kanchelskis, I didn't really see in full flight. Um, I don't remember him. I was probably only two or three when when he was around. So I'm showing my showing my youth there. But I, I know a lot oh, of people have included him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you might I don't know. I mean, some of my friends are slightly older, and they absolutely would have Andre Kanchelskis in this team. Um, that's kind of the core of my side. I don't, where do you think I've gone wrong? Well, I wouldn't say wrong. It's a ridiculously strong side, and it's so tough, isn't it? Um... You've already acknowledged that you could have you could have less Scott in there, possibly ahead of Jagielka, um, maybe for his goal threat. Also, certainly the consistency of his goal threat, because I don't think you'll ever see a better goal in a Merseyside derby than Jags's, or, or certainly not many yeah. uh, in the Premier League era, that's for sure. So let's play devil's advocate and say I'd reluctantly uh, swap out Jags for Julian Lescott. The only other place where I'd say maybe I'd kind of take issue is I think I think you have gone a little bit overly cautious having Gay and Carsley. Look, I think yep. Idrissa Gay was an absolutely fantastic footballer for Everton, defensive uh, midfielder, sorry, I should say. I don't think you need him and Carsley. And I'll always have Carsley in, in, in sort of any best of Premier League era teams. Um, so therefore, i probably drop him and I'd shuffle things around so you could get um, Kanchalskis in that team. However, again, it would be clean to drop him for Gravson and just have Gravson and Carsley. What an amazing duo they were. Yeah. But be- because I can't argue with Arteta, because I can't argue with Pienaar, because I certainly can't argue with Kale and Lukaku as our record Premier League goal scorer, um, something's got to give somewhere along the line. So I think I'd just drop Carsley and uh, have Kanchalskis in there. Midfield's really tough, isn't it? Midfield's it's really, really difficult, really yeah. Yeah, how neither of us have managed to fit in a young Rooney, I don't know, but it's it's difficult. I mean, you've got Wayne Rooney there who could, I think, is your kind of wild card option. He's the one that will create something out of nothing. So I don't know, maybe maybe that lends itself to him coming off the bench uh, in the second half. Duncan Ferguson, really good in derby games, was close to selection in my team. But even looking at that midfield, I'm thinking there should be a place for Gareth Barry. There should probably be a place for Marouane Fellaini. Um, <laughs> loads of good midfielders and loads of good attackers that, that have missed out um, so I did struggle with this one I was, it, was a, it was a cracking question really really good and definitely um, before I put my tin hat on it was definitely one that I enjoyed thinking about for that for, uh, for, that, um, for that article this week um, we'll do many more of them won't we we'll do many more of them so there's, there's, there's an opportunity to get questions of a similar ink ilk in at, at, at certain times absolutely yeah out by Lovren by Phil Jagielka! Bolt from the Everton Blue! 
A rocket of a derby goal! The other one uh, sort of jumped out, I think, that a lot of people are talking about is uh, how far down the line is the Gabriel Magal... How, how are we pronouncing Magalai's transfer? <laughs> oh <God. No>. I <laughs> mean, I'm Let's not even going to try. <laughs> Let's say Gabriel. He's going to be yeah. he's going to be Gabriel for the first few weeks, and then I think everyone's just going to call them Gabriel after that. Um, and our resident Brazilian um, football expert, Portuguese speaker, is is Jack Lang, of course. So I will I'll have to get it if this goes any further, then I'll have to get in touch with him. But I'm at a complete loss over that. Um, less at a loss over the question itself was some. I think it was something along the lines of how far along is that particular deal, and that's certainly something that we've been trying to establish for about a week now since some of those rumours emerged. And I think what we've got back so far is a sense that Gabriel is a player that Everton like. He's a player that other clubs like. Um, he's had a really good season with Lille. And he's ideally suited to playing on the left side of a back four or back five um, if you're playing three centre-backs. Purely because he's um, he's tall, He's strong, robust in the tackle, relatively decent in the air, but plays well off his left foot. And I think that's what Everton are looking for. They've got they've got three centre-backs at the moment. They know they're one short, as we've mentioned quite a few times already this season. And the fourth choice option could be Lewis Gibson, who's left-footed, could play on that left-hand side. And he's the only natural left-sided player in the team at centre-back. But he is more likely at present, as we understand it, to go out on loan, back on loan to a higher level. He's doing really well at Fleetwood, so he'd probably go into the Championship. There's been interest there. There's been interest from further afield, from other main European leagues, and that's not something that's being discounted either for him. So I think they want that left-sided centre-back. They want a quartet of competing players. Gabriel, we believe, is a player they've scouted. We believe he's a player they like. I understand entirely why they like him, haven't had looked at clips of him. Um, but like I said to you, I think we have the, we had a conversation about this, didn't we, the other day? And I said, I'm always slightly sceptical when these rumours come out now because we're only in March and it almost feels as though it's come too early. What you hope is that, <laughs> and I say this perversely as somebody in the media, but what you hope from a club perspective, from a supporter perspective, is that Everton do the business behind closed doors, interest is not leaked, and then the deal is kind of just announced. Maybe in May, Everton say, we've signed a pre-contract with Gabriel, something along those lines. The fact that this has come out in March suggests to me that people want this information out. And that can be for any one of a number of reasons. It might be Lille trying to uh, drive up a, an asking price. It might be the agent looking to drum up extra interest. It might be the agent looking to force Everton's hands and get the deal over the line even sooner. Um, Everton might want to look like they're busy in the transfer market, although I think that's the, the least likely option here, as I, as I said in the piece. But what we do know from the conversations we've had, and I, I think you, you'd probably echo this, mate, is that we, we know that they've already looked at ways to improve the squad, positions that they need to buy for. Um, they've already had discussions over what they should do in theory in, in summer and scouts will be busy looking at targets for then whenever whenever the summer market is. Um, I don't know what you think about this and I don't know what you think about the other positions that are obviously up for grabs, um, but it now seems like the opportune time given how little is being done on the training ground for 
the analysts for the scouts to be looking at some of these players that they might want, some of the positions they might need, um, and kind of looking at how they can strengthen Everton. Mm, yeah, I think that, I think that work will no doubt be absolutely going on in the background um, whilst uh, the football world continues to be in a state of flux. I don't think Marcel Brown will be taking his foot off the pedal in that regard at all. Um, and like you say, I think um, Gabriel does look like a realistic target, although, you know, sometimes, like you also say as well, I think it's true that when names are getting pushed out there quite so frequently, you do wonder the motives of uh, whether that's an agent trying to position his player in, in the window and in the market by using Everton. It happens all the time. We shall see. We'll try and keep you up to date with that. So let's have a little look on Twitter and some of the questions that, that um, people on there uh, asked when you put out your tweet earlier, which is quite interesting. Well, we kind of answered Laura's question in the sense that when we'll be back at Goodison again, can don't really know. But I did like, uh, are we in a film like The Truman Show? <laughs> questions or I mean yeah it feels like that doesn't it right now Keith was also interesting what are you having for your tea um, go on Pad what are you having for your tea actually it's still it's still up for discussion but I'm not feeling particularly imaginative at this moment in time so <laughs> mo- most most of the things I've got in are kind of pesto sauces and, and things like that um, yeah. I can make a nice risotto um, nice. and that's one of my favourite dishes actually Um I think you've got to give it like proper care and attention. You've got to stand over the over yeah. the um over the stove, kind of putting a bit of effort in, continually putting the um the nice stock in to to kind of make sure that it's cooking properly. The, certainly the rice, but I think it will. A uh, long-winded answer, but I think it'll probably be a, a, a very mediocre six, five out of ten chili con carne. That is, though, as I mean, it, it's Keith, and uh, I know know Keith a little bit. That is, I think, the most important question. I could have been asked. <laughs> and it, it's one that, given that it's nearly six o'clock, I'm already thinking about um, my, my kind of tummy starting to rumble. What about you? What are, what are you? Uh, what are you going to go for? Believe it or not, and this is this is a genuine. This is um, life imitating art. I am having risotto. Oh, yeah, okay. P P and ham risotto. So there you go. So uh, what's, your, what's in your ideal risotto recipe? I know we're going off on a tangent here, but I. I I have, a, um, I have a discussion every time I make risotto with my girlfriend who tells me that I'm too rigid in what I put in a risotto. Um, <laughs> I've got kind of got one risotto dish and I don't like to, to steer too, 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 um, too far away from that. So it's always like, it's always onion. It's always um, pancetta or kind of lardons yeah. Yeah. and mushrooms and parmesan. And anything else that goes in is kind of sacrilege. So... Right, if my if my dad made a risotto, he'd he'd, he'd put peas in, but he'd also well, I was just be gonna say, but yeah, peas is is in mine. So it's 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 chili con carne, but, but another excellent question. I I could talk about risotto ingredients all day. I think let's wrap this up and go and have some. <laughs> no, we'll um, we'll work through a few more questions, Oliver. So this is Oliver, friend of mine and yours, school friend of yours, maybe maybe even a teammate of yours. I don't know in, in the yeah, SFX was, yeah. team footy. Yeah. What would life have looked like? He's obsessed with this question. What would life have looked like if Rooney had stayed in 2004 and beyond? Now, I, I, I know, disclaimer, Oliver's like plotted a whole season. In fact, I think he's plotted a couple of seasons, but with Rooney in that team. Uh, and I think, if I'm if I'm quoting him correctly, I think we still get Kale and Arteta, but Rooney's in the side. So it does see us like qualifying for, still qualifying for Europe and, 
then maintain it. We keep we keep Rooney, and then we become a Champions League kind of regular. So I, I, did, I must admit, I do like Oli's alternative parallel universe there. What what do you think uh, would have happened if Rooney had stayed? If you know if this financial situation hadn't been that grave, if we'd managed to stave off United's interest, get told Freddie Shepherd in Newcastle to get stuffed and and, and kept him. Uh, are we are we removing the financial situation from the? From the picture, are we saying that, for example, Everton are a little bit better off financially and are able to keep Wayne Rooney as a result? Or would I, for example, have to keep Wayne Rooney and sell a whole host of other players? Good question. I think let's say for argument's sake that we just about managed, that the financial situation is just about good enough to keep him without selling anyone. It doesn't mean we're, we're, we're million, multi-billionaires or anything in this parallel universe. We don't have to sell him to satisfy the banks. So therefore, you've got a couple of seasons with him in the team. <laughs> right, I'm going to have to articulate my slight confusion at this in <laughs> the best way possible. Um, the obvious point to make is that we'd have had a completely different turn of events. So it's not just a case of putting Rooney in and Everton being even better. There is a scenario in which Wayne Rooney plays on that Everton side, but for whatever reason, it doesn't quite click in the same way. So, I mean, for, for example, you look at Wayne Rooney leaving. I think Marcus Bent has brought in uh, yeah. that summer. Bent, obviously, was not the technical footballer Wayne Rooney was, and he didn't really score that many goals either. Um, so I'm not comparing the two, but what I'm saying is Marcus Bent goes up front and kind of ploughs a lone furrow to such an extent that uh, Tim Cahill th- is able to thrive. There's more space for some of the midfielders to create. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of the, the framework is, is, is really, really good. So I'm going to stick my neck out on the line and say that in a bizarre way, and I think this is going to be unpopular <laughs> and controversial, I'm going to say that Everton don't finish fourth the year after Wayne Rooney leaves if he doesn't leave um which I I think is a bit mad and I'll probably come to regret that (laughs) I'll probably come to regret (laughs) not having prepared for this a little bit more in the long run they obviously needed to keep him now and if they had been able to keep and build around him I guess Everton would have been able to get to a position where they were more sustainable as an outfit they were better resourced to compete at the top level over a period of time. So I'm saying that they take an initial hit and don't finish fourth, but that they kind of continue to progress uh, from where they were. And with Rooney at the helm, they they do better and they, they become kind of regular, regular European challenges at the very least. It's just, mm-hmm. it's great. It's great sadness. I understand where, where all these coming from because he's the same age as I am. That kind of, hit really hard Rooney leaving because it was kind of I don't know about you but I'd I'd grown up listening to my dad and my granddad talking about how big a club Everton were and it almost felt like Rooney was the ticket to get back to that era Uh, certainly that amount of success and when he went it kind of hit home look this is not the Everton that my dad's talking about from the 80s it's not the Everton that my granddad's talking about from the 1960s or even earlier, it's an Everton that kind of has to know its place at that moment in time. It, it knows where it is in the pecking order. And we were kind of deprived of Rooney's best years. He, he produced loads of great moments while at Everton. But I don't think he was a great player when he left. He was just on the verge of becoming one and kicked on at Manchester United in those years after. So 
it was it was always really it was always really disappointing and sad in a way to see Rooney doing that for a Manchester club, um, a local Liverpool lad. You hoped that he would do it on Merseyside, and of course he gave us some great moments when he came back. But he wasn't the player, even that had left in a sense. Um, wasn't that kind of young, fresh, vibrant talent? Um, so it, that was a big shame, and I can, I can understand where Ali's coming from with the question. Are you going to completely blitz my theory here and and kind of side with Ali on kind of where Everton would have been the year after he supposedly <laughs> left? Um, let's just say that I'd, I'd prefer the the more uh, rose tinted um, <laughs> parallel universe. I don't I don't think that you're a million miles off either. But given that we can choose. We're in the position to be masters of these universes. We can choose them. I'll have one where it does help us to become like a, a European force to be reckoned with. I think it's a big leap because you take him, you consider his move to United, which undoubtedly was you know sort of absolute dynamite for his career, and he went on to be ridiculously successful with United, winning leagues, Champions Leagues, FA Cups, League Cups. You also obviously have to look at the players that are were around him. You know Tevez. Good um, gigs. Some of the best players at the time, you know, in the Premier League in Europe, were in the team that, that, that he joined. Rio Ferdinand, obviously, you know, Evan Van der Sar, fantastic. So Everton didn't have a team that could match that. And, and like I'm saying, in this in this kind of imagined universe, we're still not able to go and buy the same players as United. So could he, on his own, have achieved all that without the players around him? It's debatable, but um, it's uh, it's still a nice one to ponder. couple of other quick ones Bradley Rettler um, we've kind of touched on bits of this but it is interesting he says um, kind of how many can we expect to, to bring in we won't say we won't touch on how many we can expect to sell because I think that's a moot point we need to um, yeah. it's well known the players that we need to get off the books how many can we bring in you touch on this in your Q&A um, what positions in order are the priority I think you, you touch on this again and then last and but not least and this is a question that is Peter McCall kind of mentions as well how might Covid and the pandemic affect the transfer window so let's start with how many can we expect to bring in um, I'm kind of feeling like three or four three or four sort of I would agree centre back centre mid right winger possibly would you did you think possibly like a, another forward or maybe I think centre back central midfield and right winger the three Mm. urgent, most urgent priorities at this moment in time for the Everton squad, particularly if you look at a midfield. I think midfield's where they're particularly weak. Right-back is also going to become an issue um, over the summer. There's, a, there's at least one decision to be made, and in reality, it's probably two or three. Yeah. First of all, does Seamus Coleman stay on? I think the answer to that is probably yes. Does Jabril Sadibi get a permanent deal? I'm probably 50-50 over that, given what we've heard. Um, it's conflicting stuff. And do we bring John Joe Kenny back from Schalke or do we sell John Joe Kenny for a decent fee? And I think Sadibi and Kenny, as you've kind of mentioned before in pieces, the situations there are kind of interlinked. We just don't need them both. Um, and in fact, you might not need either of them if you look to bring in kind of a Luca Dean style upgrade on the right hand side. So I think right backs want to keep an eye on as well. We mentioned right wing, we mentioned centre back, central midfield. 
I guess they, they might look to strengthen the forward line, but if they get that right winger that's capable of scoring goals and they don't lose anybody from Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin and Moise Keane, it's probably not the place, if they've not got European football, it's probably not the place that they need to strengthen. If you think about that, that's quite a good selection of options, given that probably Walcott could play up front, you could play Anthony Gordon as a number 10. Um, there are a few different options coming through. Ellis Sims will have will have had another year under his under his belt and is improving all the time. I'm not saying he's there yet, he's, he's far from the finished article and he's far from a Premier League player, but he does have a goal-scoring knack and he might get there at some point. So... I, 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 like you, I side with three or four. I don't think it's going to be a transfer blitz. I don't think we're going to go out and buy seven, eight, nine players. And I don't think that's wise anyway. Um, I think all the evidence shows that if you have that summer of upheaval, as we did under Koeman in his second season, that actually you go backwards because it takes players a long time to adapt. And you kind of, you kind of need to keep that kind of close-knit dressing room feel. What Everton have got at the moment, you look at the relationship between, say, Holgate, Pickford, Calvert-Lewin and Tom Davis, all of whom are really good friends. Michael Keane gets on well with that group. They live in a similar part of South Manchester. Uh, you look at the way the Brazilian players or the Portuguese speakers and Yerry Mina interact. Um, they're all, they've got these kind of tight friendship groups and it feels like a tighter dressing room than it's been. And I think if you the, the danger is you bring in four or five. Moyes was really pre- preoccupied with this. You bring in four or five players and there's a completely new dynamic. So I think it's probably only three or four. The big task for Marcel Brands, as well as improving the, the, the first team and getting players, new players out onto the pitch for Everton, I think the big challenge is, is to get rid of the long list of what I would consider to be Deadwood. Um, so I think we'll see more exits. We'll, we'll see more departures than incomings. So kind of along those lines, really, but I think you, you, you've, you've sort of touched on a lot of it. Um, I, I guess it's just how COVID will affect the summer transfer window. And I think I think the answer is that none of us really know uh, how it will affect it. I mean, what we do know is that there's no, not going to be any football. The season won't resume until at least the 30th of April. I share your scepticism at this point about whether it will resume straight away then. I think it's more likely that the season resumes either end of May or start of June and they try and finish it off in a month. Um, and then, you know, it, there's obviously going to have to be some sort of thought put into the 2020-2021 season starts. Uh, the players are going to need a break. There's obviously not going to be a Euros, so that's not as much of an issue. That's been postponed until the following summer. But there might be a slightly truncated transfer window. It, you know, there's there's so many things just unresolved. You know, you, the players' contracts, players are out of contract at the end of June. It's just, uh, it is absolutely mind blowing really when you think about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. From a from a transfers point of view, it's hard to say because we don't have definite start point for the season to resume, and we don't have a defined end point for the season to finish. We don't know when the twenty. 2020-2021 campaign gets underway. So it obviously has to fall in between those two stools. It has to be in the middle of that period. But there's no indication yet as to when that period will be. It's all up in the air. What I would say is that there's definitely a storm brewing over player contracts, which are meant to finish on June the 30th. Now, some players will be free agents at the end of that point, but it's not a guarantee that the season will be finished. Loans might terminate all those kinds of things. And I think that's the bigger issue. I know having spoken to a number of different people, um, more kind of familiar with the legalities of this than, than I am, 
they just they're, they're really skeptical about how any of this can kind of go ahead um, and how um, we have a Premier League finish at all, given the situation contractually of players, unless there is significant leeway on um, those contracts and, and everything else. Um, just about every avenue here opens up a, a massive kind of worms. So from yeah, kind of finishing the season and starting the next season later on, from voiding the season, um, you'd obviously have kickback from Liverpool, from certain clubs uh, in the Championship, um, from certain clubs um, like Leicester, who would have been in with a, with a really good shout of, of a Champions League place, Sheffield United, who might have got a Europa League place. There'd be pushback from them. If you finish the season as it is, you'll get pushback from clubs that have had more difficult fixtures already because some have had easier games than others. It all balances itself out after 38 games, not after 28. Um, so it's a kind of worms regardless, which makes our job, <laughs> I have to be honest, as a, as a football journalist in that regard, um, particularly difficult at this moment in time. All, all I know is that um, we'll be able to reassess when we get a, a greater understanding of when the season resumes. Well, uh, we hope we hope we sort of gave you a little glimpse into the uh, into the sort of mailbag and into some of the brilliant questions we got earlier through that. Pat, it's been a pleasure as ever. Enjoyed this one. Um, bit bit different from our usual routine, but hopefully we'll be able to resume that at, at some point <laughs> at some point yeah. in the not too distant future. Um, yeah, keep across the site. We've got some good stuff coming up in the next few days. Um, then obviously another weekend of no football. It'll be the first of uh, far too many. So we'll, we'll try and make sure we keep some really interesting reads on the site f- for you. Uh, and the podcast will keep coming in whatever format they do. So um, good to uh, good chat with you, Pad. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoy your chilli. I'll enjoy my <laughs> P-Laden okay. risotto. And um, yeah, we'll you'll hear from us next week. Cheers.